ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamoka. Mihamocha ma'elim Adonai, Mihamocha nedar ba'kodesh, Norat ehilot osef who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of Messiah. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natanlanu et derech ha-Yeshua ba-Mashiach Yeshua. All together... Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, 
who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabat. La'asot et hashabat l'adoratam barit olam. B'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. K'shashet yamin asa aronai et hashamayim va'et haraletz uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. V'chol levavcha, uv'chol nafshecha, uv'chol meyodecha. V'hayu ha'devarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. V'shinantam levanecha v'debartabam. Beshiftacha, bebeftacha, uflechtacha, bederech, ufshuchbecha, ufkumicha. Ukshartam, leot al yedecha, vahayula totafot, benanecha. Uktaftam, amezuzot, betecha, uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house, and upon your gates. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Welcome to our Erev Shabbat service. Our Sabbath, this Sabbath, is the life of Sarah. Hayes Sarah is our Torah portion. And the Haftorah portion that goes with this Torah portion comes from uh, 1 Kings and chapter 1. And in 1 Kings, let me go ahead and just kind of introduce the books to you. Um, beginning with the book of Kings, uh, and so forth. It's, it starts with just as David's um, uh, throne is ending, and it will expand from David and Solomon and all the other kings that follow thereafter. And so it begins with the story of David as he's coming to the end of his life. Now, Sarah is a story about how Sarah's life comes to an end and about the circumstances associated with Abraham uh, taking Isaac to, up to Mount Moriah uh, for the binding of Isaac, the, the, you know, where the Lord had said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and uh, I want you to give him back to me. I want you to sacrifice him. Well, as we know in the story, he took him up there, but he wasn't sacrificed. Um, the Lord used that as a test of Abraham and of Isaac. But Sarah was really not a part of that. When they come back from the trip, why Sarah has died. So there's conflict uh, with regard to that whole process uh, for it. And if you look back in the life, there was this hassle in Abraham's house between Hagar, who gave birth to Ishmael, uh, Abraham's firstborn, versus Sarah, who gave birth to her firstborn, who was Isaac. And Isaac was the promised one uh, whereas the older one was not the promised one, and we have this conflict between Ishmael and Isaac that is part of this whole process. And that's what we have in 1 Kings chapter 1. We have uh, King David's life coming to a conclusion, and there's this conflict of who's going to be the next king. And one of the sons uh, thinks he's entitled to it, the older son, but then he had promised to Bathsheba that Solomon would become king. So we have this story of what transpires. So in 1 Kings chapter 1, let's begin there. Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm, so his servants said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king, and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom, and that they that my lord the king may keep warm before we go any further uh, this is a kind of an interesting um, story here it it specifically says they did not cohabitate this wasn't a sexual thing this was a case of the the king david at this point is he had circulation problems and he, he just couldn't get warm enough and so they covered him up with the blankets and he still couldn't get warm enough so they had to get somebody who can give him body heat, you know, to help with it. Now, they're not going to get that from an old person, and they're not going to get that from another guy. So they need a young um, lady, young woman, that can be of the right size to fit to him. Again, not for cohabitation reasons. She was a glorified, beautiful heating pad, essentially is what she was. And uh, it says there in verse 3, so they searched for a beautiful girl, Throughout all the territory of Israel, found Avishag, the Shumanite, and brought her to the king. And uh, let me get my page open here. And the girl was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabit with her. 
Now, one of the sons of the king, um, uh, Adoniah, is he's like the third son down after Absalom and so forth. And he's the older of the sons, and he says, hey, my dad, King David, is about to die. I mean, he's on his last leg. I mean, they're having to bring somebody in and give him a heating pad. I mean, that's how bad he is. He can't get out of bed, you know, and so forth. And so he's saying, well, obviously, I'm going to be the king. And the same thing is true of in the days of Abraham that uh, Ishmael came along through Hagar, and they just automatically assumed, well, you know, we're going to be the ones that are the heirs to Abraham. And you remember the conflict between Hagar and Sarah over that, and in which they would um, they scorned Isaac after he was born, and she called upon Abraham to remove Ishmael and to remove Hagar uh, from the house because of that. And so we have this same dynamic taking place here. Adonijah thinks he's going to be king. Now, what he does is he gets a little presumptive here, and he gathers up a bunch of people. They're going to agree with him on this uh, there in Israel. However, the people that he doesn't gather to agree to it is Bathsheba or Solomon, obviously, or the prophet Nathan, or a fellow named Benaiah, who is the military chief of the army of Israel. He gets other people. He gets other political type people, and he forms a royal guard of some of these 50 guys, uh, and, and they make a march, and they're going to hold this big feast and announce to everybody, hey, I'm the new king. You know, and so he's going to take this upon himself. He's going to be very presumptive uh, about with us. And it says, verse 9, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stones of uh, Zob-Heleth, which is beside in, in Rogag. And he invited of all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah and the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, and Solomon his brother. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you heard that Adoniah the son is, uh, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Adoniah did this, and David had no idea about it. I mean, he's in his sickbed, you know, about to end his life. And he has no idea what's, what's going on. So Nathan the prophet is able to figure this out. Now the person that can go and talk to David would be his wife Bathsheba. You know, she would be able the one who could come into him in his sickbed, speak to him concerning these things. So they come up with a way to share this with King David. She will go in, she will explain what is taking place, and then Nathan the prophet will come in and he will confirm it. Because as a leader like David was, he's not going to act on spurious, spurious complaints. And by the way, his wife, Bathsheba, you know, maybe she has fears and she has biases about all of this subject. You know, I don't know if I can trust everything that she says. You know, I need confirmation. Nathan knows that King David needs that. And so he sets it up so that he can be the confirmation so that David will be able to believe it and potentially act on it. So that's what unfolds for us have here. Uh, verse 14, uh, But while you are still speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the king in the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and uh, Avishag, this young lady, was ministering to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king and said, to the king, as the king said, What do you wish? And she said, My lord, you swore in your maidservant by the, by the Lord your God, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adoniah is king, and now, my lord, the king, you do not know it. She's announcing, Your other son has just seized the throne. And he was, has sacrificed oxen and fatlings and sheep in abundance, has invited all the sons of the king and uh, the priest 
and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon your servant. And as for you now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. I'm sure this celebration was going on and everybody was probably going, well, did King David say this? I mean, is, where, where's the announcement that King David has said that Adonai is going to be the king? You know, that, that this is the question that's hanging in the air. Otherwise, it will come about as soon as my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son will be considered offenders. Mainly what that means is they'll, he'll kill us. He'll get rid of us. And that's what used to happen in the ancients of the kings when they'd have, you know, you could have a king with many sons, many wives, but as soon as one of them was chosen, all the others would be slaughtered, you know, by the new king to get away from, so you don't have any competition uh, for the throne. And so she's fearing for her life and the life of Solomon. Uh, verse 22, and behold, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he had come in before the king, he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. Then Nathan said, My lord the king, ha have you said Adoniah shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne? There's the question. For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen, and fatlings, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all of the king's sons and the commanders of the army, and the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and they are saying, Long live King Adonijah. But, even, but me, even me your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of, with his name, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not shown to your servants who should sit on the throne of the lord my king after him? Then king David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. She came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king vowed and said, As the lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress, surely as I vowed to you by the lord the, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. I will indeed do so this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Yehuida, and they came into the king's presence. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord. Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to the Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet uh, anoint him there as king over Israel and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and be king in my palace for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah the son of, uh, answered the king and said, Amen, thus may the Lord, the God of my Lord the king, say. And as the Lord has been uh, my Lord with the king, so he may be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son, uh, and the Cherites, the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule, brought him to the Gihon, and essentially they blew the trumpet, they had a feast, and suddenly there's this great uproar of joy and celebration in the city of Jerusalem, all around the palace. Well, here's Adonijah still sitting over there, you know, eating his leftover lamb chops with his friends, and the word comes back, hey, King David just made King Solomon the king instead of Adoniah. Well, at that point, when you have done this, you could be charged with treason. You could be subject to the death penalty. And immediately, the people that are with Adoniah, all of a sudden, they flake out. They're, they scatter. And so Adoniah is left there alone, and he's scared for his life. 
In fact, he goes to the, um, uh, grabs the horns of the altar in the tabernacle, is holding on to it, and finally King David sends word to him, I'm not going to kill you, you know, you're, but you're not going to be king. And so we have this story. Well, going back to the life of Sarah, Sarah was the person who gave birth to Isaac. He was the promised son that God wanted to use as the descendants of Abraham for the blessings and for the covenants, not Ishmael. And so you see the parallels in the story that we have there. So that's our Haftor portion that goes along with our Torah portion for this week. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, where we will begin our Brit Hadashah teaching for this week. And let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time and this teaching, uh, for this week and this Sabbath. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and uplifted here on this Sabbath as we once again study your word and your teaching and your instruction. We bless you and we thank you for all of these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. Our Torah portion this week is Chaya Sarah, which obviously um, is the story after the death of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac. This was after the Akidah, the binding of Isaac, and we always believe that there was some connection to the fact that Isaac was being taken up to be offered back to the Lord, and that word had may have gotten back to Sarah, and that this might have been one of the things that contributed to her untimely death. In our Torah portion uh, in Genesis chapter 23, we have the story by which Abraham purchases the piece of ground that would become Machpelah, that would be where the tomb of the patriarchs would be, where Abraham would be buried, Isaac and Jacob also, along with their wives, would be buried at this location. But the majority of our teaching uh, comes in Genesis 24, where we have the story of Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, going to seek to find a wife, a bride, who would be Rebekah for Isaac after the death of his mother. And we know that the, this entire process was all done so that Isaac would be comforted in the loss of his mother. And there's a great story and there's an amazing parallel to the work of the Holy Spirit to what Eliezer did in seeking the wife for Isaac. But before I get into that, I want to start in the book of 2 Corinthians. And I want to bring a couple of passages out that are encouraging to us whenever we might be in any period of mourning. We have to remember that Isaac and Abraham, they were mourning at this time for the loss of their loved one, the, the beloved wife of Abraham, that it was through her seed would the child of promise, Isaac, be born. And Isaac, obviously having the loving relationship that any son has with his mother, um, that in that loss, there is a great deal of sadness, mourning, and that there needs to be comfort given to anyone who ever loses a loved one. This is something that can be spoken at any time of the year because we all, sometime, in our lives, we all face death every once from time to time. Loved ones pass away, grandparents, parents, family members, good friends. People pass away from time to time, and we need to understand how to be comforted in those times of mourning. Unfortunately, I've had the honor to do certain uh, uh, several funerals, and we had to. I had to uh, bury a good friend of mine who was a young man who came to Camp Yeshua a number of years, and he was a firstborn son. He was 21 years old who died tragically in a boating accident, and I had to come up with what. What do you say? in a funeral for somebody who dies at such a young age to comfort the family. And one of the things that we learn throughout the course of our life and anyone who does the work of ministry is that there are no words that truly can be said by a person to another person that will truly bring comfort. There might be something of reason that might give a fleeting moment of comfort, but for the most part, it's all on the Lord's hands to bring that peace that only He can provide. In the case of someone who lost a firstborn son, you make the connection to the Messiah and you make the connection to God, our Heavenly Father, who He Himself suffered the loss of a firstborn son, the Messiah Himself. And that you, you find that, that parallel, that, that comfort that comes through shared testimony that can sometimes happen. 
here in 2 Corinthians, at the beginning of the passage, we do have some of those encouraging words. To be comforted by the Lord in times of trials, tribulations, suffering, mourning, anything like that. Let me begin at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake in the consolation. God is the one who brings the comfort and that through sufferings and trials and tribulations comes greater things, comes the testimony of salvation, comes the testimony of consolation, of overcoming those times of sorrow. And that's when somebody has lost a loved one, and then you can go and speak directly into the life of somebody else who is suffering with a loss or more and in a time of mourning, that we too can bring that comforting through our testimony with one another. And all of these things lead to the edification for us who are the believers. For us who are continuing to grow in our spiritual faith, we're continued to, these trials come, these tribulations come, people die, people live. We go through all of these things, yet we are in a constant state of being matured and grown in the way the Lord would have us to grow spiritually in our walk. And that through all of this, God is glorified in all of these things. Another passage that is traditional for connecting to this Torah portion as well, you've got to go backwards one, uh, one book into 1 Corinthians, back to chapter 15, where it talks about God's ability to overcome death. And so let me read now here, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting at verse 50, where it says this, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, for this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast through all things that come. When, even when we suffer the loss of a loved one, that we have the hope and we have the knowledge knowing that God is the God of the living and that He has the power over death because the Messiah Himself was risen from the dead. And we are looking forward to the time in the future when the dead will be raised, when they will not be corruptible anymore, that, and we have that promise from our Scripture in multiple times and multiple places in Scripture, that the resurrection will come, that we believe in the power of the resurrection. This goes back to what I said last week about Abraham, believing in the resurrection. That's why he was able to confidently go and take Isaac and bound him and lay and raise that knife. It's because he believed in the power of the resurrection, and that's something that we can believe in also even when we face death, when we, are, we, we face that suffering, that trial, that mourning, that we have a testimony and a hope of a God that has overcome death and that we should be steadfast, immovable through all things that happen because we are to be servants to the Most High God. Now, that takes us back to our story. We're talking about how Eliezer, 
the servant of Abraham, went out by faith to still serve his master, Abraham, in what he had asked them to do. Abraham had asked his servant. Now, in this passage, I should point this out in Genesis chapter 24, that his name is not actually mentioned. Eliezer by name is not mentioned. However, any Bible scholar worth his salt knows the servant of Abraham that went out to find the bride of Isaac was Eliezer. It was his most trusted servant. It was the man that he even mentioned before the birth of his sons that he was actually the one who would inherit Abraham's household. That's how close of a servant and how close Eliezer was to Abraham. Now, there's amazing parallels in this entire passage of Scripture of this servant, Eliezer, which the meaning of Eliezer's name is God is help or the helper of God, which has amazing parallels into it as well, that he was sent out by his master Abraham to go and find a bride for Isaac, the promised son. Now, as I'm describing it using those words, you might be starting to sense the parallel here, where the sending of the servant is to bring a bride to the promised son in the same way that the servant, the helper, the comforter is names that are given to and attributed to the Holy Spirit, the part of God that has gone into the world and is the one that goes and convicts us of all that Messiah has taught us and, and has said to us, and that that is the work of the Holy Spirit that, of course, does these things. Before I get more into that, I do want to say this. In the course of the story, the servant goes out. There's the, he, he recounts in excruciating detail multiple times exactly what Abraham said to him, exactly what he was to do. He prayed to God, and God answered his prayer as, before he was even finished giving the prayer. He meets Rebekah along the way. That she comes and is going to uh, come to the well and going to gather water for her household. And Eliezer is there with ten camels. And she, of course, in the prayer, he says, may the girl come and offer to water the camels as well. And sure enough, Rebecca comes along, and that's exactly what she does. And that this is, then we have the entire exchange in Genesis 24 of Eliezer the servant speaking to the household of Rebecca and saying all the things that Abraham has sent him, that he has a son named Isaac. We're seeking a bride. I prayed to the Lord. This is what happened. Rebecca, you are that girl that I prayed for. And then asking her to come, to leave her house, to come and fulfill that role and that, um, basically that prayer that was prayed by Eliezer the servant. We have another passage that's traditional for this Torah portion. If you go with me to Luke chapter 9, we have the instruction that comes from the Messiah when he asked and when he accumulated some of his disciples to follow him, when he spoke of what one must do when it comes to uh, becoming disciples of the Messiah. Beginning at verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, we have this instruction of what it means truly to follow the Lord. This goes back to us when we learn how do we be steadfast, what is the work of the Lord like, what are we committing to when we say that we wish to serve the Lord. This is what is in, in my New King James. It says here the heading for Luke chapter 9 at verse 57. It says, the cost of discipleship where now the passage begins. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you where I will follow you wherever you go. And the Messiah Yeshua said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first I must go and bury my father. Yeshua said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first and bid them farewell who are in my house. But Yeshua said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is one of those things where it kind of seems like the Messiah is speaking kind of harshly to these men. When you're talking about that he's going to pull these men out, they're going to become his disciples to follow him and people wanting to follow and, and follow after the Lord and follow after the Messiah, he's speaking very plainly that this is an example of which if you're choosing to follow me, if you have the calling to preach the kingdom, you have to forsake all others in the process of doing that. 
This, of course, parallels back to, once again, last week when I talked about Lot's wife, who looked back in the, in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that she looked back, desiring something that was left behind, but she was judged and turned into a pillar of salt because of it. If we are going to be followers of the Lord, then we have to be wholehearted and committed to that service, to that job, to what it is going to be. The Messiah made this very clear for those that were going to follow Him, even to the point of that he ha someone had to bury their father, put him in the ground, bring closure to that. But we also know that the Lord doesn't have any association with the dead things and things that are unclean, and that, no, if you're going to come and follow after Him, then it's like, no, let the dead bury the dead. If you're going to go and bury your father, then you will be counted with Him as if dead, in that you want to follow me, but you cannot also be in associated with this death. And the other one, too, it says this. It's like, I want to follow you, but let me... Well, but let me at least say bye before I, before I go. And, the, and Yeshua said once again, it's all like, no, you cannot look back. If you continue to look back at what you had, then you are not fit to inherit the kingdom of God. Look, there's a whole other layer to this teaching as well. And this goes to marriage counseling, that when two people married, and they form a new covenant, a new family, a new household, that you have to, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother's house to cleave to his wife. And the wife as well. She then goes and cleaves to her husband. She's no longer under the covering of her family, of her parents, or any of those things. And for a good, strong marriage to happen, you have to create that separation. You must leave. You must leave your father's house. Now, this is, so there's a couple of layers to this teaching. One, if we're going to follow after the Lord, we have to have that level of commitment in following after Him, following after His words, His ways. And when we're going to follow the words of the Messiah, look, there, the world is going to forsake you when you become a born-again Christian and start following after the Lord. They will call you crazy. They won't know what you're doing in any of, in any of those things. But if you're committed to it, you have to do it no matter what anybody else says. Same thing when it comes to anybody coming into the Messianic movement, starting to follow Torah. How many times have you started picking up Torah, trying to follow the law, trying to keep Sabbath, trying to keep kosher, but it's the members of your family that are the ones that are your biggest heartache telling you, oh, you're just trying to be a Jew, or you've been Judaized, or you're under the law, and all of these things, and that the biggest conflict comes from your family. You know what some people have to do? You've got to separate from your family, because if you're committed to following the Lord, obeying Him, then you have to cut that off and follow Him. So many principles to this. Now, the connection, of course, back to our tour portion is this. Rebecca was faithful to go with the servant, Eliezer, to leave her father's house. They were, her, her family members, her brother Laban, are all like, no, stay a little while. May, may you do this, do that. But Eliezer was on a mission. He was following what his master had said, and there is no reason, Eliezer has, has no reason to delay to obey his master. That's how good of a servant he was to his father Abraham. Now, also the other thing, too, is when he spoke, he spoke with the authority of his master Abraham. So when he's coming and he's speaking this, do you think Abraham's wanting to wait any amount of time for his son, Isaac, who is in mourning for the loss of his mother, and then we have found his bride as confirmed through prophecy, through prayer, that she's now to come and that we're going to delay this any further? Of course not. This is what needed to be done. Now, bless Rebecca for having that faith, the faithfulness to know that she is surrounded by the will of the Lord and she goes with the servant, Eliezer, back to the house. We, of course, have the amazing, the beautiful reunion at the end of our Torah portion in Genesis 24 when Isaac sees her, falls in love, and that, they, that she brings, that because Rebecca was brought by the servant, that... He was comforted after the loss of his mother. It says that specifically at the end of chapter 24 at verse 67. This is the whole goal, of course, is to bring that comfort. How is it that the Lord brings that comfort to us that we need in that time of suffering, in that time of loss? Now, if you would turn with me to the uh, Gospel of John, to chapter 14. This is one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture, and this is, of course, if, if you are familiar with the Scripture, you probably knew I was coming to this passage already with some of the things I had already said, by the fact that I related Eliezer, who means God is help, to the Holy Spirit Himself. And this, of course, in John chapter 14, 
is when we have the Messiah telling the disciples about the Holy Spirit, whom he called the Helper, or some translations call the Comforter or the Advocate, and that these words all are pseudonyms for the Holy Spirit itself. John chapter 14, let's start at verse 15, these first uh, three verses here. It says this, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide in you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, and He dwells with you and will be with you and will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now, we're making the, the connection here as, as the Messiah is speaking, and he's talking about this is toward the end. He knows that he is going to uh, sacrifice his life for, so that we might all have eternal life. And he's, this is when he begins to explain to the disciples of how he must go. He must go to the Father. But when he leaves, he, will, he then speaks in mysteries where he says, I will come back to you. But he also says the Lord will send a helper, will send all of these things. So he's introducing this idea, this concept of how the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive will come to you and you already know him. You already know him because you know the Messiah, because the spirit is who was in the Messiah as well that they were all one and the same. When he says that the, uh, the, the helper will come, I will leave, the helper will come, and then he ends that whole verse, verse 18, it says, I will come to you. Wait, you just said you were leaving. No, the, the Spirit and the Messiah and God Himself, these are all one. These are God manifesting Himself in all of these different ways. But it's a, well, again, if you re- have a translation that says, I will give you the comforter that will come, well, then we're talking about the death of the Messiah. We're talking about after the Messiah has died. How will we receive this comfort? Well, the comforter will come. And it, of course, is the Holy Spirit. It says there, I will not leave you orphans. Well, that's exactly what somebody is whose parents have died. That's what Isaac probably felt when he was in mourning for the loss of his mom. He felt like an orphan, and he was in need of the comfort that would come, that only the work of God would bring that comfort to one that was mourning for the loss of one's loved one. So then now let's skip ahead to verse 25 of John chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I have it highlighted here in my scripture that when you think about, okay, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do for us? It says it right there. He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all things I have said to you. Look, anytime that you feel like you've ever learned something from the the scripture or that something has taught you, maybe a, a preacher stood on a stage one day and said something that was profound and changed your life. Or sometimes in your own study, we open up the Bible and something pops out to you that changes your life because you've read something a certain way that that you've never seen before. Is that truly the power and the attribution of your ability to read those words or that that the bravado of that preacher to be able to speak in great truths? No, of course not. Nobody attributes those things to one's fleshly strength. That, of course, is the work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts you of something. Anything that you've ever been taught spiritually, where you taught it by the person, the lecturer, the professor, the preacher, the pastor, the counselor, did they the, were they the ones that taught you? Or was it the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside your heart that taught you what you needed to know? Of course it was the work of God. That's why some people can hear the exact same teaching. You could listen to, to a pastor preach a certain word and somebody's blown away by it and you go to the other friend and you're like, man, did, did you hear that? That was amazing. And they're like, yeah, it was okay. They obviously didn't impact it. And you're like, did you hear what I heard? I heard this and this and then. They're like, yeah, why is that important? What that is, is that's the stirring of the Spirit inside you of that like something ministered to you that the Holy Spirit taught you but didn't teach the person next to you. 
That is, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit. Anything spiritually we've ever learned was taught to us by the Holy Spirit, by the convicting of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts, inside of our minds. And that what that does, if we have a testimony of Yeshua, of reading what He has said, the Holy Spirit causes us to remember what the Messiah has said. Now, for those of us who are Messianic, who have delved into the deeper Hebrew roots of our faith, we know that Yeshua Himself taught Torah, that Torah was the words of the Messiah. That was the words that He taught. He taught us all of these things and all of this instruction. And that the Holy Spirit convicts us to know what is righteous, what is right and wrong according to the law of God. God gave us all of these laws, and all, on, all of them hang two, two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And that if you are operating in the Spirit of God, then you will be, the, be a keeper and a follower and a doer of Torah as good as anybody that's ever, whether you've read it in the first five books of Moses or not, the Holy Spirit can lead you to follow those things. That's what the Spirit does. This is why He is the helper. This is why He is the servant of God. He goes and He operates and moves within the power and the authority of God and comes and gathers us. See, because that's what all of this teaching is for. All of the teaching that comes and all of this education that comes spiritually as we've grown in our spiritual walk, is so that we might be gathered up and drawn closer to God. That's the whole point. We want to get closer to God. Now, He's in the process of greater prophecies, gathering us from all nations. One day we believe He'll draw us all back to the land, to the promised land, and we'll all be together, receive the inheritance, and we'll all be a part of the kingdom. And we know that that's all a future fulfillment. But in a spiritual sense, we are all being gathered to be closer to God. And how is that happening? Because the moves of the Holy Spirit have gone into the world to gather and regather all of God's chosen people. This is why the Holy Spirit stirs in the hearts of some people and not in others is because those people have a connection back to the covenant that we have with God. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer of this. And never will this be able to be proved out until, until the Messiah, we're sitting in the kingdom and the Messiah says, yes, this is exactly what it was. Every single person that has either come out of the Christian church or Judaism or out of wherever they've been and they've heard some word, some instruction, and they've had a stirring in their heart to have a love for Israel, to keep the commandments of God, to have a testimony of Yeshua. And the ones, the people who've come out of the church and who say, I'm just not getting fed there, and, and, and they find new truths in starting to follow Torah. It would not surprise me if truly every single person that has had their heart stirred in that way, whether they were young when it happened or old when they happened or whether it, whenever it happened, that all of those people actually do have physical lineage descendancy back to Abraham or back to Israel, is that they already are a part of the family of God, literally are a part of the family of God, whether there's some connection there, but all it was was it was a move of the Holy Spirit that stirred in their hearts to return, to come back. And that's what the work of the Holy Spirit can do. In the, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in this time, in this age. Since the Messiah died uh, 2,000 years ago, the work of the Holy Spirit has moved throughout the entire world that has moved through the disciples, through all the people who have gone to minister to all the nations, being a light to the nations so that all people might be brought back and be gathered closer to God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this, of course, connects to what Eliezer was doing with Rebekah. She's the bride of the promised son. That is who she is meant to be, that she is going to be gathered and she is going to be brought to be in the family of Abraham, to marry Isaac in, this, in what would be a great and joyous feast. We're talking about this is the promised son. This is the first son being born in the seed of Abraham and that through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, so when Isaac's family begin, is formed, he gets married, he starts having children. This is going to be a joyous occasion. And so when the servant has come, brought the bride, gathered her, brought them close together, what an amazing, joyous occasion this would be. Such is the same that will be at the end of the age when the Holy Spirit has finished its work 
in gathering the bride of Christ, the bride of the Messiah from all the nations where it's been, Israel bringing, being brought together, being whole, being one once again so that they can be the bride to the Messiah. That's the whole work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's going to happen. So this whole idea of Eliezer going and finding Rebekah is a huge prophecy and a parallel to everything the Holy Spirit is doing and has been doing for the last 2,000 years, to stir in the hearts of the people of God so that they could be gathered together to be the bride of the promised Son. Let's skip ahead to uh, John chapter 15. And let's start at verse 5. This is, again, describing more about what this work of the Holy Spirit is as Yeshua is teaching us more about this manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit. But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they did not believe in Me, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. He will glorify Me, and He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine, therefore I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. The next couple of verses here starts talking about how sorrow will be turned to joy. The, 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 the uh, disciples start talking amongst one another and trying to figure out what in the world is the Messiah talking about here, that in a little while, the Messiah then said, in a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me, because I go to the Father. There, this, how are you going to go away, but we won't see you, and then we will see you, and we're trying to understand this. And this whole idea, these, these men, these disciples were still wrapped up in this idea that their master, who they were following, was going to die. He was going to die. And there's this this mourning that that, that is is coming over them before anything has actually happened. But But the Messiah says this, recognizes this. And now let me read here at verse 19 of John chapter, I'm in, sorry, John chapter 16 is where I am right now where he says this, Now Yeshua knew that they were desiring to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say you, say to you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy may be full. This is that last little sort of capstone here where everything I said to you, the the work of the Holy Spirit, all these things, we're we're talking about all this joy that's, that's coming in the future. That doesn't mean that there won't be sorrow that we come across in our day to day lives. But God has said that the work of the Holy Spirit and all of these things that, that it is doing will turn any sorrow, any lament that we might have in our day-to-day lives, and it will be turned to joy. This is the word of encouragement that we must have in our day-to-day lives going into the world, and it is the encouragement that will be necessary for those that will go through tribulation before we see the return of the Lord, that there will be sorrow, there will be lament, there will be all of these things happening, but God will turn all of those things to joy when it comes that the, the fulfillment of all the work of the Holy Spirit, when the bride comes, when, just like it said, when the birth of a child, with all the pain that comes in child labor, 
And then when you finally see that life and you see the, and, and the joy that only comes from the power of God and the creation of life that comes. So I would pray that we would be comforted in all the things that we face, whether it's a day-to-day life, if there's anyone out there that's suffering or at the loss of a loved one that happened recently, or if anyone is facing any other trials and tribulations and is sorrowful for what life they're having, the trials and tribulations they're facing and what they might be dealing with and what's in front of them. But may we always look to submit and know, look, the Messiah is not here anymore. We don't have a temple. We don't have sacrifices. We pretty much have our Bibles. We have our congregations. And we, if we're, all we're looking at is the physical, then, then we might look around and say, well, that's pretty much all we got. But if we look at the spiritual, then we should know that the Helper has come in the absence of the Messiah who has gone back to His Father. The Holy Spirit is still there. He is called the Comforter. He is called the Helper. He is a servant of the Most High God. He comes in the authority of God and does this work, the work of comforting, the work of regathering, the work of teaching us all the things that God has taught us, all of these words that have been spoken. The Messiah spoke these words that sorrow will become joy. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak that to you at this time and in your times of trials and tribulations. Your sorrow, your lament, your trial, your tribulation will become a season of joy, will become a time in which God has revealed Himself to you and that you will be comforted no matter what you might face. Loss of a loved one, trials, struggles, tribulation, whatever life throws your way, the Lord can bring you comfort and is your helper through all of it. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. For this time, this teaching, this instruction, Father, for the work of the Holy Spirit, your servant, who convicts us of all things. And Father, may it also convict the world of sin. And Father, as it will be the thing that brings judgment and will teach us of righteousness, Lord, Father, may we submit to your Holy Spirit, Lord. May it inhabit our lives and may we work with the Holy Spirit, Lord. As we minister to one another, as we encourage one another, as we face trials, tribulations, as we face the world and whatever it throws at us, Lord, Father, I pray that you would just guide us with your Holy Spirit in all things, that you would comfort us in our time of mourning, in our time of stress and trials and tribulations. May your Holy Spirit overcome any other spirit that might afflict us, Lord, whether it be a spirit of fear, spirit of anxiety, a spirit of depression, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that you would cast those spirits out in Yeshua's name. And Father, may it only be your Holy Spirit that dwells in the hearts of your people. We bless you and thank you on this Sabbath day for all the things you do for us. We give you all the honor, the glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.